This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention, I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash startalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today. Coming up on Startalk. We speak with my friend and colleague, Aomua Shields. She's an associate professor of astronomy specializing in astrobiology at UC Irvine. And we talk about the search for life on planets that are already known to exist in orbit around their host stars. We're going to learn what M stars are. We're going to find out what the color of the star has to do with what life might be like on a planet's surface that orbits it. And we'll also take questions, cosmic queries from our Patreon members. All that and more coming right up. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk. Neil deGrasse Tyson here, your personal astrophysicist. I got Chuck Nice with me, Chuck. Yes. Doing it again. Doing it again. This is, the universe is nonstop. That's right. And it's and it is. Oh, is it really though, Neil? Is it really? Yes. Does it? I mean, seriously, <laughs> can we say with certitude that the universe does not stop? I mean, if there, you know, if there's anything it, in the universe that doesn't stop, it's the universe itself. There you go. Well, Bam. Okay. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna see your statement and raise your entropy. So I'm. Well, okay. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Today we're talking about life on other planets. Yes. Life on other planets. And we've got a friend and colleague of mine, Aomawa Shields. So she's an astrophysicist and more specifically an astrobiologist, which Ooh. is kind of a new field, new in the last few decades. I'm old enough to call that new. Mm. Uh, also on the landscape of science communication, she's there and she's a force. She's an associate professor in the Department of Physics and Astronomy at UC Irvine and founder of Rising Star Girls, a program dedicated to helping girls 
discover the universe. What? I know. Watch out. Also, also a trained actor. What? Oh. I know. No. Wait a minute. I know. I know. Wait a I know. second. Wait, wait. I'm, but I'm not done. Oh, go ahead. Until I'm done. All right. Now she's got a new book out. Oh, wait. Yeah. Now you can react. Okay. What? <laughs> and she's got a new book, Life on Other Planets, a memoir of finding my place in the universe. Whoa. And that comes out in the middle of 2023. Welcome back to Star Talk. I think we've had you on before, haven't you? We? have. Thank you. Yes. It's, it's wonderful to be back. Last time we were talking about terraforming Mars, and now we get to talk about more life on other planets, places where there actually could be life, although. Maybe Mars? I don't know. Um, yeah, but, plus I want to get to the bottom of what it means to have a book titled Life on Other Planets, and now you call it a memoir. Chuck, I think she's an alien. Okay, that's is what this, I'm saying. This how is the was evidence the, we How need. was the trip? <laughs> I, I have a lot to share. I have a lot of information now. <laughs> yes. So, um, uh, we'll get to your book a little later, but let me just, just can you update us on... Where are we in the search for life in the universe? Because you you focus on the habitability of exoplanets and in multi-planet systems, what climate might be on those planets. So what what are you doing when you go to work each day? Yes. So my team's work starts after the planets have actually been found. So it's hard enough, as you know, to find a planet around another star. And it's although own. we are going like gangbusters, we're approaching six thousand planets. That's right. So you know, yeah. and that's mm-hmm. in the that's the tiniest fraction of our own galaxy. Never mind the fact that we have a hundred billion plus galaxies in this universe. Right. But yeah, we've got close to six thousand now that we've found, and so. But we don't really know anything about how habitable they might be, whether they might have water on their surfaces, which is what we define as habitable, because we know all life on Earth needs water. Everything Mm. from the tallest, largest elephant to the smallest, teeniest microbe needs water. And you just confess that you're completely biased. You're not just looking for life. You're looking for Earth life. Yeah. That is true. That is true. And this okay. is why... Okay, I just want you to fess up I, yes. just right here Thank and now. You. <laughs> Show your cards. Okay, go. Very true. Uh-huh. And this is why the, the field of astrobiology is so important, because there are astrobiologists like me who are looking for planets that might be warm enough for liquid water on the surface, but not too warm. And there are also astrobiologists whose job it is to ask the question, what about life as we do not know it? What about oh. non-Earth-like life? Could, could life use something else besides water or something else besides carbon as in its backbone? So there, that's right. really important. We can't be so Earth-focused that we miss discovering life because of that. Mm. Mm. Because I've seen some missions, they're looking for Earth-like planets around sun-like stars. You can't get more sort of biased than that, it seems. True, true. And sun-like stars are not the majority of the stars in our galaxy. The majority of the stars in our galaxy are actually much cooler, smaller, and redder than the sun. So that That sounds to me like we should be looking there. I have spent a lot of my career (laughs) focusing on that, right? These M stars, these cool small stars. M so we're a G star. Sun is a G star. Yeah. So with OBA of G K M. So M is like the coldest star category we have. 
So why would you think... Pretty cool. We, ha- we know of some even cooler ones now, like L's and T's, but then there's been some controversy. Are those really stars? Are we getting so cool that we're in the like brown dwarf regime? But um, And just to be clear, when an astrophysicist refers to a cool star, we're talking a few thousand degrees. Still, That's it's right. still really hot. Yes. Not, not Robert Downey Jr. still be incinerated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all relative. All right. So how do you modify your search for life around an M, an M dwarf star? Yeah. If you know it's not as warm as the sun. So what happens to the habitable zone and other sort of the properties That's that right. you're seeking? So if we want to look for a planet that could be what we call it, this habitable zone or the Goldilocks zone because it's not too close to its star, not too far away, so it's not too hot, not too cold. We have to look much closer to an M star than we would to uh, around a sun-like star. In the same way that if you're, you know, say you're at on the beach and you're crowding around a little campfire, you're going to have to stand much closer to that campfire to get the same amount of heat as you would if that campfire was a bonfire. Right? The same principle exists when we talk about these cool stars versus the hotter stars. So we're really yeah. so close. It just redraws your habitable zone. That's right. That's all it does. Yeah, so it's, it smushes yeah, okay. it closer mm-hmm. up. And there's some interesting things that can happen when a planet is orbiting that close into its star. Right? There's forces at work. Yeah. There's tides. The planet pushes on the star. The star pushes on the planet. And the planet's rotation period can get slowed down and maybe even to the extreme case where there's one permanent day side and the other side, it's always night. And we call that Ooh. situation synchronous rotation. It's like this extreme case of tidal locking. And it's literally always day on the day side, always night on the night side. And, and my team- It can't be good for life. It, people have thought that it would be Not really bad. Not if you want to nap. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> right. So how are you going to put life on a planet Or maybe you just like have that? like a work side of the planet and a party side of the planet. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I like, like it. that. Disco <laughs> okay, so, it's not, so I get it. You, you don't wait for night to come. Yeah, you, you, go, you go to night. You go to night. Oh, right. Chuck. It's like, yo, what you doing later? Yo, I'm going over to night, bro. And we about, <laughs> we going, we going to chop it up crazy like. <laughs> <laughs> and all right, you know, it, it works. So that's, that has been a big concern. However, fresh off the presses, my team actually has some new work that shows that you could have life along the Terminator. The dividing line between <laughs> right. the day and the night side. That's what we call the Look Terminator. Look at that. So, so, and now, so temperature-wise, if it's always night and you're just never facing anything, that, that would be like a super cold part of the planet, right? Yeah. Right. And then if there's always daytime, that'd be That'd be a super hot part, right? So there's got to be a spot. That's just right. Right. Okay. And and it's funny, okay. the just right spot you call the Terminator. <laughs> right? So, so much more much more amenable, much more neutral than our our pop fiction Schwarzenegger Terminator. Right. But I can't right, help, right. I cannot help. I, we coined this term Terminator yeah. Habitable, and that's the I name of it. our paper. And like, you can't. It's so dabbly comfortable. Very comfortable. It's like a warm bath. <laughs> so, before we continue, let me, if, if, if I may, I will give a 
a brief tutorial on how stars got the letter classifications. Please. So you go back 120 years, we're getting data on stars that are not just pictures of them, but spectra. And we don't know what spectra are yet because quantum physics wasn't yet discovered. But we knew some spectra looked like others, and you could put them on a continuum and you could, that transition from one kind of spectrum to another. And so we did that. And we lettered them A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, G, the elemental P. Okay. Then quantum physics came around and we said, yo, there are reasons why the spectra look this way, and it's not what you're thinking. And it had to do with the temperature of the star. And it turns out these features can duplicate between being too cool to have a feature and too warm to have that same feature. By the time we shuffled these letters into a temperature sequence, A, B, C, D, E, F, G became O, B, A, F, G, K, M. And why didn't we just re-letter them, which yeah. I think we should have at the yeah, time? Uh, yeah. But we didn't. Well, okay, you know, so you we have this artifact. Could have gone with numbers. Pretty simple. Yeah, because now we get to <laughs> no, confuse no, no, we... astronomy students the world over, year after year. Forever and Forever. ever and ever. Every year so I get O that stars question. are hot. And B stars are next hot. At OBA, G, we're G star. And then each category is split into 10 other subcategories. Okay, zero through nine. So oh, we are so you... a G2. Oh. Okay, Arabic numeral two. Okay. And we divided them by what's called luminosity class. Like, how big are you? And so we have classes one through five or four or three. Yeah, five. And so we are G, Roman numeral two, G, Arabic numeral two, Roman numeral five. Wow. You tell that to an astrophysicist, they know exactly what kind of star you're talking about. G25. That's what it is. Sounds like something that rappers fly to their next concert in. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. G25, baby. So, tell me what you what did you need to do to model a Terminator habitability? Mm-hmm. Like, what, what what kind of calculations were necessary there? Yes, and I have to give a shout out to my postdoc uh, Anna Lobo, who's spearheaded this work. And you know, we had to ask that question, as I write in the book, that having this question: Could these planets even exist? It's the first place to start for any scientist or any that curious person. That helps. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Before you invent life on a planet, make sure that that kind of planet Could exists. actually exist. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the first thing we had to do, we're using models, climate models that are normally used to predict the climate on Earth. So they're the, mo- the same models that have been used to predict the effects of climate change into the 2100s. The reason why we know that climate change is real and that it's going to continue unless we do something is in part because we're using these models to forecast those effects. But what we're doing... And, and these models, so all you have to do is change some of the... They the probably inputs. have knobs you can turn. That's right. Where everything else... Because the physics would just be the physics, but the rotation rate and the, and the, 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 the sun's energy that's entering right. the system. These are knobs, right? These are oh, knobs cool. that we can turn. So we I ch- didn't know these are general climate models. They're fascinating. That's right. So we are changing the spectrum of the host star, right? How its, how its energy, its light is distributed across the whole spectrum is going to be different depending on the temperature of the star, the type of star. We're changing how sh- the shape of its orbit, how much is in its, a- how much atmosphere, like what its atmospheric composition is. 
because we don't know those things for Earth-sized planets. We have no information about the type of atmospheres they might have or their surfaces. And understanding the effects on climate of different types of atmospheres is going to help us understand which of these nearly 6,000 planets we want to prioritize and look at with next large generation telescopes to find out if there really is life there. So, you know, this is a beautiful example of the cross pollination between two otherwise very different disciplines. Yes. Right. You, you go into climate science, folks. They don't care about exoplanets. <laughs> right? They just care about Earth. I know. Right? And I'm on a personal crusade to, to change that. Because it's true. Like, this is, <laughs> it's so interdisciplinary. We're using yeah. atmospheric science, climate science, astronomy, geology in some cases, glaciology. Because I'm all about right. ice and different types of ices. And these different types of ices interact with different types of light, depending on the type of ice. There's more than just water ice. We're looking at CO2 ice. Um, and other so different ice. ice would reflect their sunlight differently. Differently. From other kinds of surfaces right. and would change how much energy enters the system. That's right. Is that is fair? That's a, Did I say that that's right? That's exactly okay. right. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Hey, remember when we did that show about the science of the golf swing? Well, let's take that to the next level. And that's because PXG has developed the Black Ops Driver so golfers don't have to sacrifice distance for forgiveness. And the science 
proves it. PXG Black Ops Driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering, unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Ops Drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. Now that's ridiculously high. The higher the MOI, the more forgiving the club will play. So you don't have to square the ball perfectly for it to go straight and get distance. Add PXG's new advanced material face technology and you get incredible ball speed that pushes the distance to the absolute limits. More forgiveness, more distance, no sacrifices. PXG Black Ops Driver. Hit your tee shot straighter and farther. The proof is in the science. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment. Go to pxg.com slash startalk and use code startalk at checkout. That's pxg.com slash startalk. Use code startalk for free shipping on all equipment. pxg.com slash startalk, code startalk. I'm Joel Cherico, and I make pottery. You can see my pottery on my website, cosmicmugs.com. Cosmic Mugs, art that lets you taste the universe every day. And I support Star Talk on Patreon. This is Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson. So, Aomawa, tell me, what, uh, how does all this fold into this, this book that you just wrote? I'm so excited for this book. This has been a dream of mine for a long time. And as you know, I have, I was an astronomer, then I trained, I changed and studied acting. And then I came back and finished my PhD and became a professional astronomer and a professor. And for the longest time, I was trying to reconcile these two things that I loved, acting and astronomy. And I thought that they couldn't coexist. I thought I had to choose and when I would share with people those two loves, I got a lot of like, what? This is so strange. Why? How? And I, you know, I think I internalized that and tried to, you know, figure it out. And it was funny because when I stopped figuring it out, these incredible miracles got to happen where I saw how they can really coexist, like hosting a science TV show, which I could never have planned mm. on my own. Eventually going back to grad school in part because of your suggestion and you know being put in touch with you and your mentorship and also I had applied to the astronaut candidate program and had not made had not reached the next level it was like everything was saying go back get your PhD and I finally became willing to listen and so the book really is about that whole journey it's about why I I fell in love with the stars and the and the night sky and why I fell in love with acting and this whole edge that I carried for a long time of like feeling like I was an astronomer or a scientist around actors, feeling like I was an actor around scientists, and eventually coming into full acceptance of this non-traditional background that I had and how it could really make me a better scientist and a better communicator because of it. Um, mm. but there's, it's about so the whole I, journey. Uh, first of all, that's, uh, that, that's beautiful what you just said, because it's a, uh, it's a reconciliation of self, which I think is yeah, always ooh, a good wonderful, phrasing. wonderful thing Doc, that anyone has ever. Doc, you a, could be a, you could be a counselor. Or <laughs> you could be yeah. like a therapist. Yeah, if you want to mess up your life. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> okay. no, I think yeah. if if you're in if you have these loves, 
you know, I, I had I had two had sort of secondary pathways, but none as significant in my life as your acting was. But I just did little things. I doodled and I liked calligraphy when I should have been doing other things. But now when I sign my books, I use a calligraphic pen. And the people who received the book, they appreciate it that much. It was little things like that. You find a way to fold it in, your life and the lives of others are much more enriched. So I'm so glad that you pursued what you love rather than what people thought you should be doing. Thank you. I, I have to say, I still remember, and you're going to find out. You, you probably read parts of it already, but if not, you'll see later. Like You're in the book. <laughs> I'm in oh, the book, okay. I, I write Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Am I, am I in the book? <laughs> you're going to have to read it to find out. <laughs> and you're in the book. And, and you're, you're in the book. Everyone's in the book. There are a lot of people who are in the book. But like I write about that moment when, you know, I first met you in person at the AAS, the, the American yes. Astronomical Society. That's our professional uh, conference for, for those who don't know what AAS means. And we sat, you know, on some umbrella chairs or whatever. and people were walking by like, is that, is that who we think it is? Is that Neil deGrasse Tyson? And, you know, and, and you were just there. And I think I like started to cry at one point because I had, you know, I'd, we'd, we'd been talking about my background and how I had, you know, I had, there were ups and downs. I had struggled academically because my head was not in the place, like my, my heart and my head were not in the same place. You know, mm-hmm. you know, it's funny because I cried when I met Neil too. <laughs> Stop. But but that's because he was standing on my foot the whole time he was talking to me. And he's a big guy. I'm telling you, he's a large man. It was not pleasant. <laughs> Wait, uh, Omoa. Plus, it didn't help matters that you also married an actor. Isn't that right? If I remember correctly, is that I correct? I did, yes. And he is 100% actor. He doesn't have the like my yeah. actor, scientist, uh, engineer, distractions, architect. You know, distraction. He's a hundred percent actor. Although he does enjoy those like doomsday Nat Geo shows or like super volcano okay. or you know. And, okay, yeah, um, yeah. And mm-hmm. he's a, that's, that's in us. He's a lot. But what I'm saying is that 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 would have been a force that would have been supportive of your acting. Correct? I mean, I presume. Absolutely. We met in acting grad school. He was my classmate. Oh, so God, UCLA. You, were, you were becoming a real actor. She said acting grad school. Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, this Listen. Is, I, yeah, I. <laughs> that's, that's the real stuff. Yeah, okay. I, that's when you're just like, you know how people say, well, I'm going to be an actor. And they're like, well, you're never going to get a job. If you, When you say, I'm going to acting grad school, they'll be like, oh, you're getting a job. <laughs> like, <laughs> one would hope. <laughs> that's what we hoped and expected. That wasn't always the case. But yes, right. like we, mm-hmm. I wanted to study it in the same way that I studied astronomy. I, you know, and, and, and that was so much fun. You know, I, after, so I had left, the PhD program that I was struggling academically in. And I had a, an old white male professor tell me to consider other career options. And, you know, and I internalized that and, um, and left. And, you know, when I got to acting grad school, it was like, I was, it was like, I was free. I felt so light. They, but it wasn't like it was easier compared to astronomy grad school. It was harder in a different way. Um, and I write about this. It was like it didn't. It wasn't necessarily about the brain cells working overtime. It was about dredging up my emotions and feelings and childhood experiences and like bringing it all up. You know that I needed right. to use it to embody You're these summoning it on command. Yeah, yes. summoning it on command. Yeah, it's got to be real. Yeah. It's got to be yeah. real. Yeah. Wow. So, so you stitched this 
you've made a tapestry of your life with your professional ambitions in this book. So it's part memoir, part part uh, advice column. <laughs> is that is, is yeah, that fair? There's a little bit of there's certainly it's all spoken for the most part in the first person. Like this is what I did. This is what helped me mm-hmm. make my life better and reconcile these different parts of myself. Um, and I hope mm-hmm. that I'm, I'm writing it for the people that have that question of like, is it too late? There's that part of me that I right. never could, you know, bring mm-hmm. up into my life. And, and, but it's always been there. Like I say in the book, it's when you leave a dream behind, it, it never dies. It's like sitting on the side of the road and eventually it'll catch up. And that's mm-hmm. what happened mm-hmm. for me, you know? And, right. and the right. whole the message of the book is that it's not too late and that, if there's no role model that's doing what you want to do, you can be your own role model. Yeah, you know? yeah, um, that's right. And in fact, if you always needed a role model, you would only ever do things that other people did before you. But sometimes you have to trailblaze. And like you just said, if you become your own role model, uh, that's harder, of course. And you got to figure things out on the fly. But uh, if and when you succeed, then people will say, of course, that's what I always wanted to do. Mm-hmm. those who come behind you. So uh, just congratulations yeah, on that. Thank you. It's fantastic. Well, Chuck, let's get to some queries. All right, why not? Especially tuned for this visit. Absolutely. Uh, uh, These are le- questions from our Patreon members? Patreon patrons who oh. yes. just for a paltry, uh, um, almost insignificant $5 a month. All right, this is Mike Parker. And Mike Parker says... Hello, Dr. Shields. Mike Parker here from Richmond, Virginia. If life does exist in our solar system, which planet or moon do you think offers the most promising location? I love it. In fact, give me the top three cases in order. Oh, my gosh. Not just one. Okay. Um, This is a fantastic question. Thank you for asking it. Europa, which is Jupiter, a moon of Jupiter, would be my Mm -hmm. top. Even though there's a lot of buzz right now around Saturn's moon Enceladus, which would be my number two, the next one. Um, Saturn's moon Enceladus has geysers, geysers of liquid water that are shooting out from its south pole. And there was a recent- Can't can't argue with geysers. Mm. And apparently all of the basic elements of life are are there. Um, There you go. Geysers lead to geysers. (laughs) (laughs) Geysers lead to geysers. (laughs) (laughs) Chuck, I don't think that's how language works. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> and then, gosh, number okay. three. And third one. Give me a third one. I'm thinking. Um, I mean, I, I'm skeptical I'll, I'll about one. Mars. Well, but, un, uh, yeah. Mars. There's under, under surface Mars. Under surface. Where you know yeah. there might be some liquid water in aquifers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll be your third Your third. I was, I was about or, to say that, and then, but I'm skeptical. But yes. I, or it I've could be Mars might have fossilized life. Okay. So the life was there. It's no longer there. But that still counts. Because it ain't here. It. it ain't here. If we can prove that it was there, it still counts as life because it was there. True. And yeah. we have so I, much. I'll give you that. And there's so much evidence of liquid water on the surface at one, some point. At one point, yeah. yeah. Oh, right, yeah. right. Excellent. Excellent Super question cool. there. Yes. Nice right, question. Keep it going, Chuck. Mike Parker, way to go. Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. This is uh, Sherry uh, Cariso. And Sherry Cariso says, Hello, Dr. Shields. Do the ideal conditions for life on extrasolar 
planets depend on the star itself? Or are the requirements the same no matter what? Also, thank you. Thank you for Rising Star Girls. I am registering my niece. You are an inspiration. Sherry from San Diego. Thank you so much, Sherry, for asking that question and can't wait to see your niece in Rising Star Girls workshops. Rising Star Girls hosts summer. We we host annual virtual workshops during the summer for middle school girls of color. And that means ages 10 to 14 or 15, roughly. Oh, Um, wow. No one is is turned away. It's virtual? And they're virtual. So we have girls no matter where you are that participate from all over the country. And we even have girls participate from from other countries too. And we're we're ramping up to do even more. We also host educator webinars where we, we show educators how to use the activities in our handbook with girls in their own communities all over the world. Um, so, and, and back to your question, the ingredient we, the primary ingredients for life are liquid water or a liquid, which on our planet is water. And as we know, we can't just look for water, but that's like, that's our first order thing. We're looking for some liquid that, that life can use to make its, uh, the stuff it needs to carry out its chemical processes and reactions. Some kind of energy source, whether it's the sun, the star, or chemical energy, like life that lives in the deep ocean around these hydrothermal vents, has no access to sunlight, and yet there's life there. So it's using the chemistry of rocks and heat from from the the core of the earth. And I add there that when I was taught biology, it was only assumed that life could thrive it was assumed that life could only use sunlight because we hadn't discovered the life at the bottom of the ocean yet. So That's they had to incredible. broaden the definition. Not that life depends on the sun, but life depends on an energy source. So I like this, that that's now a folded into that definition. Okay, yeah, so keep going. And then the last one is the basic building blocks of life, like some, and some kind of environment for life to, to make its... You know, to carry out its metabolic processes and to use, so we, we think of this like it needs sulfur or phosphorus or oxygen or nitrogen or carbon. These are like the basic elements of life. So. The organic chemistry. The orga- yeah, the or- organics. Organics, yeah, yeah. Okay. energy source, and liquid. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of those things are what we look for when we're looking for a planet that could be habitable. And for what I, the part that I am really focused on is where could the climate be suitable for water to not freeze, not evaporate away, but to stay in, in liquid form somewhere on that surface. Um, and so this can be affected by the type of star, as you bring up in your question, because this starlight can be different depending on the temperature of the star, how that starlight interacts with the surface of the planet, the various atmospheric molecules, on that planet, that can influence the planet's climate. So it does depend on the star. Um, but those three ingredients are the main ingredients that, that we think any kind of planet would need to host life, to keep life going for you know, a now long time. Now you just made me think of a question that I've, if it's a dumb question, just let me know. Uh, there are no dumb so questions. That, that is not true. You, not, you have not heard me <laughs> ask questions. When people say there's no dumb questions, I'm like, just wait. 
Um, <laughs> no, but so are th- are there different stars that give off different colors and can look like our star is white? Are there different stars that give off different colors and can those different colors actually affect the development of light? I mean, of life. <gasps> that is the complete opposite of a dumb question. That is a fantastic question. So yeah, I'm not going to believe anything you say now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's uh, not a dumb question. It just yeah. popped in my head. So when it just pops in my head, I'm like, maybe that's a dumbass question. Never, never. So yes, different stars have different colors. And if you if you are fortunate enough to live someplace where you don't have a lot of light pollution, if you go out on your porch or your stoop and look up, you'll see this. You'll see this in action that all of the stars don't all look the same. Some of them look white. Some of them look yellow. Some look a little orange or a little red. Um, and if they're twinkling, that's a pretty good bet that that's a star. If it um, if it's uh, not twinkling, then you can be more convinced that it's a planet. There's a lot more stuff between us and a star um, than there is between us and a planet in our own solar system. And so there's a lot more atmospheric distortion and turbulence, and that's what we see as twinkling. Um, but anyway, yes, the colors... The colors are real, and that has to do with the temperature of the star and how much light it's emitting. Um, and that that light, again, that's going to, if, if there's a planet around that star, and just about every star in our galaxy has a planet around it, mm. may not be in the habitable zone, but if just about every star has a planet, then that planet, if it's got an atmosphere, if it's got a surface, that light is going to be shining down on that planet. And how how much light is in what region of the spectrum, the color of that light is definitely going to influence how it interacts with what's on that planet and, and the weather, the temperature, the climate of that planet. So you have one of the most complicated problems to solve out there, it seems to me. Because it's not just light shining on the planet, it's like how does the chemistry of the atmosphere interact with the light that's shining down on the planet. Does it get absorbed? Does it get readmitted? Yep. Is it reflected? Yep. And then if it reaches the surface, then you got to worry about the surface. And and somewhere in there, maybe there's life. It's so this true. It sounds like a really hard problem. It it's is a, a really hard problem. Because those same uh, those same cool stars that you know comprise 70% of all stars in the galaxy, those M stars, they're really awesome because they're so numerous and there's a lot of advantages to looking for life around those stars, but there's some disadvantages too. They have really long phases where they send out a lot of X-ray and UV radiation shooting towards the surface. And we know the reason why we wear sunscreen is that UV radiation is not good for biology. And so it could Mm -hmm. be that, you know, life could only exist at the bottom of the ocean on those planets. Mm -hmm. Um, It really... Where you're protected from the UV. Where you're protected. Water is a good UV absorber. Yeah. 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 All right. Okay, cool. Super cool. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.
Saving money on everything for your projects. Now at Menards. We have it all for garden and landscaping essentials. Visit our outdoor garden center today and update your backyard space. Grid accents lattice panels have a timeless design with an innovative design that's simple to install and requires almost no maintenance. Save big on lattice panel options at Menards. View our entire selection of garden center products today on Menards.com. Save big money at At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. All right, keep it coming. All right, here we go. This is Omar Marcellino. And Omar says... Hello, Dr. Tyson. Hello, Chuck and Dr. Shields. Omar here from Dallas, Texas. Dr. Shields, given your unique journey through the cosmos of astronomy and theater, two fields that are often mentioned never in the same sentence, let alone (laughs) in the same career, you have boldly gone where few have gone before and leading the way in ensuring others from diverse backgrounds can do the same through your work with your rising star girls. In your perspective, how could this universe of diverse talent and experiences propel us further into the final frontier. How do you think incorporating a spectrum of perspectives in astronomy could accelerate our interstellar mission to understand and reach other worlds? <gasps> mm. Whoa. What now, is- wait a minute. Is your husband named Omar? <laughs> <laughs> oh is, it a, is it about to be? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that was an ex- Excellently written question and and uh, recited. So yeah, I'm going to say Omar, you want to read this book? Oh, you know, look at that! This oh, has got oh. the whole journey in there, pretty much everything. I see what you did there. Yeah, but what good. I and go to risingstargirls.org because you'll you'll see we're not just teaching these girls astronomy and astrobiology. We're not just saying, hey, there's stars out there, there's galaxies. These are the names of the they get to write a poem about what they're learning. They get to design their own exoplanet and make choices about how many stars it orbits and if there's life there. And if there's not, why not? They get to write their own constellation myths. Um, they get to calculate the distance from themselves, from the Earth to different solar system bodies and units of themselves. So we're doing this all to develop a personal connection between these girls and the universe of which they're an integral part. So we're, we're processing what they learn through a creative arts-based lens. And I wanted to bring it back to Rising Star Girls because that's really, my journey has been epitomized by this program of like, it, they're not these, the, the arts and the sciences are not as disparate as many people might think. Mm-hmm. In both cases, it's about the story, right? Everything has a story. Planets, stars, they all live, right? And they die. And they, there's a story of their becoming, and there's a story of their evolution, and there's a story of their deaths. Right? Wow. So planets don't have mother issues. <laughs> right. <laughs> Later in life. <laughs> That's right. There's certain stories they're not gonna tell, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, the stories, the stories are different, but they but there's right, there's stories nonetheless. There's stories. There's stories right? nonetheless. Or the stories are of humans 
on the stage or on the screen, right? Looking to live, as as one of my method acting teachers used to say, right? Trying to find happiness and fulfillment. So there's that whole like science and the arts. And in fact, not only are they not as disparate as we might think, but they actually interweaving them is the key in my mind to answering your question is to creating imaginative thinkers and enlightened scientists and enlightened artists for that matter, realizing Mm. that these disciplines can fuel each other, um, can be used to, right, to elevate our, our core understanding of the human experience and the, right, the universal experience. Um, So that, that would be my my best way to, to answer that really exciting question. Can I add to that as a minimum? In a day when only men did science, it means half the population of the world, half the intellectual capital of our species was not at the table at the time anyone is thinking about how the universe works. So the extent to which you can extend that to have 100% of our species have access to, whether they choose it, that's another question. But if they don't access to it, then you can ensure that, that we're getting the best minds who want to actually think about our past, present, and future in the universe. Yeah. And, yes. I, it's, and right now, that is not the case. Yeah. That is absolutely well, not uh, the case. Physically, it was half. Uh, percentage-wise, it was way more than One half. Fourth. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it was half of the mass, but, but and less than half the actual brain power there you in go. the universe. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, and, right. and we want these girls to claim ownership of what they're learning. You know, mm-hmm. to know that that they matter, that they're an integral part of this universe, that, you know, just in the same way that if we were to look at the Milky Way galaxy through one one type of light, just visible light, right? You'd see like this this thin, right, this thin line with a bunch of dark clouds in it. And you'd think there was nothing there. If all you looked at, if you look towards the center of the Milky Way galaxy, that swath of space that some of us can see if we go out in the desert, if you just Thought that that was the only. Some of us could see. <laughs> yeah, the remaining three percent of the population right? of the world, that, yeah. where there's no yeah. extra lights pollution, right? If you thought, if we thought there was nothing there, we'd miss out on so much information about this galaxy. But if we looked right. at the infrared, we see so much, so much going on, right? Never mind UV and gamma. There's so much more, right, to the to the galaxy than meets the eye. So too is there so much more to these girls than meets the eye. And we want them to to have that that ownership of that star, that planet, that galaxy that they're studying, so that when they continue on and the heavy math comes in, they'd be less likely to leave the field because mm. they think, oh, you know, I didn't get that question right on that test. I didn't. Oh, someone told me that you know I shouldn't be here. Right? Just knowing that they right, they there's a connection that they have between what they're learning and who they are um, that we hope will really help them stay. Cool. All right, cool. All right, let's see if we can slip in two more questions, Chuck. All right, well, here's one from uh, Carrie Manaberg, and Carrie says, Hi, Dr. Shields. Is there any scientific evidence that life on Earth came here from an interaction with a comet or asteroid that had biological foundation chemicals? Ooh. Ooh, Ooh this, is a, this is a popular question within the astrobiology community. I believe the, the term for this is panspermia. Yes. Um, right. That yeah. something comes in from other, from elsewhere, and like seeds, seeds us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's. I mean, 
course it's possible. I, I don't think it's being given very much um, funding, to be honest, uh, and in terms of ex- exploration of this topic, but it certainly has been discussed within astrobiology communities. Mm. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. This is Jason. He says, uh, hello, Dr. Shields. Do you have any personal moral quandaries about science moving forward? Or is pretty much just forget morals and let's just see how far we can go? Now, I don't know if Jason is making an indictment of any sort or not. But, you know, <laughs> that's a... That's a very specific it's question. It's starting out with the premise that all scientists are immoral. That's well, kind ba- of- <laughs> yeah, basically. But I think, I think I know what he means. It's like scientists want to discover. What if you and you two, Neil, had the opportunity to make a discovery that would enlighten, but there was a larger chance that it would destroy? Would you still expose that discovery? That's a moral quandary. Mm. Yeah, this is an important question. This harkens back to the last episode that I was fortunate enough to be on with you, you know, where we talked about terraforming and we talked about some of the moral and ethical implications of, of that, that question of, is it okay if, to terraform another planet or terraform Mars? Um, I do think that as scientists, we are, we, ethics is, must be key so I don't subscribe to the view that, you know, science and discovery at all costs. Um, there's a piece that I've written for uh, an upcoming a periodical that's, um, that's like, you know, why, why, why do this? Why look for life elsewhere? Why spend billions of dollars doing all of this? And, and is that object, umuamua, that first interstellar object, you know, is that, you know, is it really an alien's craft or is it, you know, is it just, can it be explained by regular, you know, regular scientific, um, scientific method? I think what it comes down to is if we go, and I'm talking about this in the context of the search for life elsewhere, there's all sorts of other, you know, genetics and questions about cloning and all of that that have their own ethical implications. But I'm, from my part of the sphere on that, on that question, can we, if we were to discover that we are not alone, what would we do with that information? Mm. Would we have to go and visit or could we stay on our planet and know that we're not alone and let that information inform how we think and feel and, and move throughout the world? Or would we need to go? And if, we, and if we would need to go and visit, could we just go and visit and then come back home? Or would we need to stay? And if we needed to stay, could we just stay and not try to conquer? Or would we have to go the way that, that um, and emulate what was done on our planet with Columbus and Magellan and, and all the rest and the implications of that, right, that led to genocide? It, I would hope that we would be able to learn from the lessons of the past and not repeat them. Um, and that really is what I think it all comes back to is, is hope. You know, I have no clear answer about what other scientists might do and maybe even what I might do if given the opportunity to go to another world and, and communicate with other, you know, other species. But I, I carry with me the hope that I would want to do whatever we do from a place of love, kindness, inclusivity, 
and welcome and humility, to be honest. So that I think is the key that, that to be a scientist, I must concede that there is more that, that, that out there that can be explained and I can hold on to that humility and help and, and allow that to guide, to serve as a North star for me morally. Um, so. Well, that, that is beautiful. And that, that's, as, that's as a comedian, beautiful. let me just say this. That ain't happening. It's not going to happen. That is not what is going to happen. Well, but I got two reactions. One, I how charming it was that you thought we would go find aliens on another planet and that we might exploit them. That's just... Oh, rather than like Independence oh, yeah, Day and they're going to come yeah, and kill exactly. us? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, believe well, me, I, if we go see them, they're not answering the door. They're going to play the role just like we Jehovah's Witnesses or something. They'll be like, Shh, they're here. Right. Please, don't let them. But, we're not. Get know, away from that, the window. But that question is. Get away from the window. I've never had heard <laughs> anyone talk about an encounter with aliens and talk about we exploiting them. That is like never. I don't know any storyline. If you're thinking of that storyline, that is completely. But of course, that's a beautiful thing. But of course, it mirrors our what happened on our planet. I mean, yes. I know, how could I not think of it that way? You know, that, like, no, you know we, why I think about it? I think if they come here. And they do what we do to each other. Oh, Lord. As, as we portray in the films, then we're creating them not based on a supposition of how they would behave, but on actual knowledge of how we did behave. Mm, so, in right. fact, all of the alien movies are mirrors to our culture, as, as you... Treating it almost like uh, a, a, a guidebook or a recipe. I, yes, you know. yes. And I couldn't help you have to publish a paper on the interstellar visitor Aumuamua. So we have Aumawa. I know it's so close Aumuamua. to <laughs> We need that research paper. I, I write that. it. I write in the book. I say Aumuamua. It sounds like my name. Um, yeah, that's great. Aumawa yeah. studies Aumuamua. That's right. Uh, but Aumuamua is Hawaiian, and Aumawa does that have some origins? My parents made it up. They made up oh. yeah, vowel sounds. They put together their musicians. They made a chant up. But yeah, that sounds... I went to Hawaii They once. sounded like hippies. They, they yes. sounded like some leftover All hippies the way. right there. All Very the way. nice. Very well, nice. Well, at least you weren't named Moon Unit, okay? Right. <laughs> right. Or Moonbeam. Right. Or, or Pilot Inspector. I mean, <laughs> come on. <laughs> That's unfortunate. Oh yeah. But yeah, Oumuamua means messenger from afar arriving first. So that Yes, the first, that first, first messenger. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, guys, we got to end it there. That's okay. sad. Oh, oh my was, God. This is good. This has been Thanks fantastic. for being on and congratulations again. Thank you so much, Neil. And thank you, Chuck. It's great to be here. All right. Chuck, good to have you, man. Always a pleasure. All right. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist for Star Talk. As always, I bid you to keep looking up. Save big money on everything for your spring projects at Menards. We have all of your garden and landscaping essentials. Master Garden Premium Garden Soil contains a slow-release fertilizer that feeds gardens for up to nine months. It produces better results and is ready to use for all your gardening needs. Save big on Menards' great selection of garden and landscaping products. Compare brands in-store or online at Menards.com. Save big money at Menards.
At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.